Salutations! Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter-Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from KAB in Antonio Bay, California, discussing the 1980 supernatural horror film, The Fog. This film was directed by John Carpenter with a screenplay co-written by Carpenter and the late, great Deborah Hill. Rather than crafting another slasher in the vein of the pair's previous film, Halloween, Carpenter and Hill decided to tell an atmospheric ghost story set in a picturesque town on the California coast. Drawing upon films and horror media from their youth and teaming up with past and future collaborators, The Fog initially received mixed reviews, but in the decades since its release has grown to become a cult classic. So, The Fog... What were your first impressions on the film? I had never seen this film. Really? I've heard of it. Um, it's all right. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I'll be honest. Huge I, commitment. Uh, yeah. I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all right. You know what I mean? It's okay. It just, I don't know. Something about it. I just really didn't. It didn't connect <laughs> with me for some reason. Didn't jive. Yeah. But I mean, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I mean, if you look at John Carpenter's catalog, it's not Halloween or right. The Thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a good little... <laughs> <laughs> Those are so good movies. Exactly. And this is sandwiched right in between. But I still like it. I think it's a good little, you know, ghost creepy right. story. Um, yeah, I'm warmer <laughs> than obviously you are. But yeah, I like it. I'm not obsessed with it. But right. I think it's a good movie. I said it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with Nay. Um, I think that it is very unfair for it because it was sandwiched between those two movies. Yeah, because those two movies are perfect. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. And it makes it very easy to overlook. Right. I think the that's kind of something that it has going for it is that it's something so different from those two movies. Yeah. And it shows uh, Carpenter's versatility. True. Because he's like, now I'll do a slasher. You know what? Now I'll do an old-fashioned ghost story. Now I'm going <laughs> to do a creature feature. You're like, you are just... Why not? Yeah. yeah. I just... It's admirable. And I love a good revenge story. Same. I was just about to say that. And the cast, though... Oh, man. I right. know Creepshow hadn't been made yet, but it's like Creepshow and Halloween, like the cast had a baby <laughs> and then the fog came out. Yeah. And honestly, there's some moments in this film that feel very Creepshow. Agreed. So yeah. I don't know if Romero was like taking notes. I love this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, and what's weird to me is that I know we, we saw this as kids. Uh-huh. But it's not one that stuck with me. Right. No. But revisiting it as an adult, I've kind of got a new found respect for it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It does. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's it's a matter of it kind of being a slow burn as compared to the other two. It is, but I mean, I'm here for a slow burn, uh-huh. and I feel like the runtime, I was surprised at how short this is. Man, that's going to kind of blow your mind, because I got stuff about the production that's kind of surprising. Okay, I know one thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, with a runtime like that, you kind of have to hit the ground running, right. but they still manage to kind of ramp up the suspense and mm-hmm. the, the storytelling aspect of it. And it's so Carpenter. Oh, yeah. Like, it feels like a Carpenter film. I was reading about the production notes, actually, and I even saw this little feature at documentary they did. It's called Tales from the Mist, and it's pretty cool. That's a great title. (laughs) But this was actually part of a two-picture deal that Carpenter and Hill signed, because 
what they thought they were getting bad reviews for Halloween, uh-huh. which is nuts to think. Yeah. yeah. But they were like, they weren't ready. No. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, well, we made a stinker. So yeah, what's no. next? And then someone reaches out and they're like, hey, we want to give you a two picture deal. They're like, hell yes. Please. <laughs> but they signed the deal. And the first idea that came to them is from a visit they took to Stonehenge. Uh-huh. And as they were at Stonehenge, they see the fog rolling in. And it looks all eerie. And then John Carpenter's like, what if something's in that fog? <laughs> that. And Deborah Hill's like, all right, that's it. <laughs> but you can feel the influence of these old monster movies they saw when they were kids. You can feel the EC comics of the ghouls that we'll talk about in a bit. Mm. Yeah. That I didn't just spoil. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, you can tell, I just don't think people were ready for this movie when it came out. Right. But it's nice to see that in time, it's gotten this cult following. Yeah. Almost like a creep show feel, but too soon. <laughs> they should have waited the two years. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we wreck this film into the rocks, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's set sail. So the film opens with Tint's piano and the sound of a pocket watch ticking. We then see a quote from Edgar Allan Poe that reads, Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? I'm on board. <laughs> that's all it takes? That's all it takes. I, it's a Poe quote. That's all we need? A poet. That's, po- <laughs> that's all we need. I was wondering because I'm like, okay, I read that this was Deborah Hill's idea. And I'm like, is it like... Jules on Pulp Fiction with Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, where he's like, I just thought it was some cool shit to say. Or is this a dream? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I but the thing is, is that when you I reread the poem and there's talk of watching the waves on a surf tormented shore, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, that fits. Yeah, yeah. And then they say something about uh, sand slipping through the fingers of the narrator. And I'm like, all right, time. <laughs> but that's it. That's the loose. <laughs> that's all I got. So you're telling me Poe didn't write The Fog? Not that I could oh, prove. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but we fade in to see a gold pocket watch dangling on the right side of the frame with kids huddled under a blanket on the left. The pocket watch is just snapped shut by Mr. Macon, played by John Hausman. That actually scared me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Already? <laughs> yeah. I'm already on edge with that Poe quote. <laughs> <laughs> but he tells the kids it's almost midnight, which gives him just enough time for one more story. By the light of the campfire, he tells the children that in five minutes, it'll be the 21st of April. Interesting date. Uh, it's your birthday. It is my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not be why we're covering this, but... <laughs> Macon claims that exactly 100 years ago, a clipper ship called the Elizabeth Dane sailed towards land, but it was overtaken by fog. This left the crew blinded for a moment in the waters at Spivey Point. Suddenly, the men on the ship were able to see a light piercing through the fog, so they steered toward it. Unfortunately, the light was actually a campfire on the shore, and the ship just crashed into nearby rocks, the vessel completely destroyed and sunk deep under the water. The crew uh, drowned. I mean, (laughs) yeah, big surprise. But in their dying moments, they watched as the fog just dissipated and disappeared as quickly as it descended upon them. But for years, it's been told that when the fog returns to Antonio Bay, the crew will rise up from their watery grave and search for that campfire that caused their deaths. Just then we hear the ringing of a bell. It's midnight on the 21st of April. 
The camera tilts up to the blackness of the sky as Mr. Macon surveys the children. We rise up through the trees and the shoreline to see the title, John Carpenter's The Fog. Well, good night, kids. <laughs> Was this really a story for children to be well, listening to at midnight? Yeah. <laughs> Send them home just shaking to their parents. The crazy thing about this whole like scene slash prologue is that it was not part of the original film. That's the only part I knew. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, I know one thing. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It's, it's so surprising because I read that after watching early versions of the film, Carpenter was like, I don't like this. Like, so this wasn't supposed to be there? No. No, it wasn't in the first one. No. They and, had to go back and add it. Yeah. Also, they, from what I read, about one third of the final product was added to the film during these reshoots. And so... It was probably as long as host. I was going to say, (laughs) how long was it? It could not have been like anything. Yeah. But they, I guess they had made it. It was more tension, more about the fog. And so a lot of the violent scenes that we see later were added in post. Oh, I think they were trying to catch up with the times because Halloween for what the reputation is, it's not a very violent movie. No. No. This movie's way more violent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Turn it up. I was like, holy shit, yeah. at some points. But it was beca- probably because, I mean, when you're looking at it, you got Friday the 13th. Right. And they do some shit. That's... It's what the people want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give them what they want. But we arrive at a church where Bennett Tramer, played by John Carpenter in an uncredited role, ties up the rope for the bell tower. Bennett Tramer, of course. Dr. Wolfula. Exactly. <laughs> That's all I was thinking of. I was like, I hope he didn't shed a tear <laughs> rewatching this. It's too close. It is. The thing is, is that I read Ben Tramer is just a friend of John Carpenter's. <laughs> I'd be like, can you stop using my name, please? <laughs> but over the radio, we hear the voice of Stevie Wayne, played by Adrian Barbeau, telling her listeners that she'll be live on the air until 1 a.m. Bennett shuts off the radio and the lights as the camera follows him down a hallway. So first things first, this film was shot by Dean Cundy, who was the cinematographer for Halloween and a bunch of other Carpenter flicks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But him following John Carpenter through, it feels like Halloween. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Like the camera floats and I'm like, oh, you're about to get got by a child. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out. But the other thing that's really interesting is that Carpenter and Adrian Barbeau were married at the time of this film being made. Mm -hmm. And this is actually her feature film debut. I had wanted to bring that up just because it's good tea that he and Deborah Hill were together when they did Halloween. And then a couple years later, she's what you said, producing. Yeah. And he's married to the arguably the lead, right? I would call her the lead. And uh, I was just like, John, it's a little messy. How? It's messy. (laughs) No excuses? No. (laughs) But Bennett enters a room where he finds Father Malone, played by Hal Holbrook. He tells Malone that he's done for the night and is told by Malone to return at four tomorrow. Malone offers Bennett a drink to keep him warm on the ride home. (laughs) Classy father. Yeah, you know, drinking and driving. (laughs) (laughs) But Bennett declines and he just asks for his paycheck. Malone tells him, you know what, show up at six o'clock instead. Don't pay me. Yeah, that doesn't (laughs) change anything. I thought the same thing. I was like, give him his check. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I get to sleep, but (laughs) thanks. But he just politely leaves without shaking down Father Malone for his cash. (laughs) You can't kick a father's ass. Well, you shouldn't. The next time he asks for his check, though. (laughs) 
But I felt bad for him. He's like, look, I'm not ringing these bells for free or whatever <laughs> yeah. his fucking job is. But now alone, Malone takes a swig of that sweet blood of Jesus before, <laughs> before realizing that Bennett left his radio behind. He calls out to return it to him, but he hears shuffling in the room behind him. He calls out to the shuffling, and then out of nowhere, a massive brick from the wall just crash lands on his table. He obviously drops his drink and the radio because he got the shit scared out of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the radio turns on, and it's playing jazz music. Father Malone reaches into the hole in the wall where the brick was, and he pulls out a journal. He opens it up, and the first page reads, Journal of Father Patrick Malone, 1880. To me, hmm. that fucking brick unprovoked yeah. falls out of the wall, and this journal is tucked. I'm. <laughs> there's nothing good in that journal. You're not. You don't want to read. Hell, no. I mean, I would because I'm nosy, yeah. but, but I shouldn't. <laughs> you just cross yourself and leave. Yes. <laughs> That's not for my eyes. Yeah, you, you know, you would. I know. Yeah, <laughs> but still. trying to be holier than thou. Yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> nobody breaks up a journal because it's full of happiness. Like nobody does. Yeah. That. That's true. I've never written one happy thought in my journal. <laughs> <laughs> that music though was getting it. It, it yeah. was. <laughs> I love. They use so much jazz in this movie. And oh yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. Like we were just talking yeah. on Talk Mortem. We were, yeah. Um, that jazz is underutilized. It is. I read though that it was supposed to be rock music that nah. she was playing, but that jazz was cheaper. You know what? So that they went with jazz. And that, I feel like it works. Yeah. It almost gives it like a timelessness. It does, yeah. Because yeah. if it was just rock from 1980. <laughs> oh yeah. How weird would that sound now? It would be so dated. <laughs> I'm not scared. What no. The fuck? <laughs> I'm fucking headbanging. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But Father Malone peers up again at the hole in the wall before returning to the journal. Now, <laughs> very quickly, in a split second, we see Father Malone turn the page. But if you pause it... <laughs> like you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you can see that an intern pulled a fast one. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this page was not written by Patrick Malone. <laughs> <laughs> the page reads... My college education to work writing dumb shit in this fucking movie's props. It's time, what, to bring in the words, bring in the nude girls with big tits, tattoos, and shaved beavers. I what? think Father Malone did right. <laughs> I'm like, how did That's this- why he hit it in the wall. <laughs> this is unacceptable. He should have stopped there. He's like, my grandfather was into some... <laughs> weird shit but how did this get past everyone yeah that's that's the question because it's there so you can see it you can see it yeah it's so fast right i actually put a screenshot of it on twitter like a few months ago ago, yeah yeah before we even talked about covering this and i was like i can't wait to talk about this (laughs) but that's just insane and to think it's in this movie that's become a classic. That college student is out there as someone. Right. Whatever I mean, they're doing. Yeah. You're like, you hear about the time I... Uh... <laughs> you got to pause it though. Yeah. But it's a split it. second. <laughs> <laughs> but in the journal on the pages we're supposed to read, it says April 30th, midnight till one belongs to the dead. Good Lord, deliver us. The jazz music continues as we cut to a shot of the tide coming in on the bay. Over the radio, we hear Stevie wish Antonio Bay a happy 100th birthday. Over shots of the town, Stevie says the forecast calls for rain this evening, despite the clear skies that she's seeing. She announces that she'll be staying on the air for one more hour and invites the listeners to join her. She has an excellent voice for radio. I wanted to talk about that as well. It's fantastic. And then even later when she's like taking calls, and then getting, I love mm-hmm. the, the switch yeah. where she's like, all right, all right. 
now. (laughs) (laughs) You're good at this. Yeah, you don't talk like that in real life. (laughs) I, I think what I love a lot about it is that her presence on the radio is like a thread that connects yeah. the majority of these scenes and transitions and stuff. I just, I think that it's utilized so like, I was going to say awesomely. Is that a- sure? All right. <laughs> I'm among friends. I can say <laughs> I can make up words. Uh, the other thing that was interesting to me is that didn't she kind of halfway reprise her role as Stevie Wayne in that tales of Halloween. Yes. Yeah. Anthology? Yeah. That's, that's so cool. But anyway, <laughs> Outside of a convenience store, we see several payphones with their cubicles empty, but the phones themselves are ringing off the hook. Inside the store, one of the workers is sweeping the floor doing those typical end of shift things. Right. And he stops, though, to take a swig from a bottle of orange juice on the shelf, and then he puts it right back on the shelf after facing in front of him. Asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Just drink it. Just take it, take, take it with, it with you. With yeah. you. Yeah. That's just, yours now. Just commit to stealing. Yeah, like, yeah, don't do that. It made me think of those fuckers that were licking the ice Same. cream. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. During COVID, it's like, well, I uh, what I at this point, it's like we don't know what the fog is or what the movie is, but I hope he gets fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you get fogged first. <laughs> but the overhead mirrors begin to move on their own as he continues down an aisle. Suddenly, we hear a glass shatter, and he stops. Just behind him, all the bottles on the shelves in the cooler begin to shake, but they stop as quickly as they began. A sign that reads, Antonio Bay Gift Corner, swings creakily overhead as he makes his way over to check it out. He doesn't see anything, but we see a ship in a bottle on one of the shelves. It's like, all right. (laughs) I see. Yeah. I see. This nautical theme. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be like, I'm clocking out. Yeah. (laughs) I don't get paid enough for this shit. No. But I think there's something to be said for the sound design of the film because mm-hmm. nothing happens in the scene. Yeah. But the rattling I mean, like, yeah. and the creak, you're like, fuck. I was kind of like, well, what's going on here? You yeah. know what I mean? They're setting up. I mean, it's enough to unsettle you and put you on edge, but they're not giving anything away. Right. Right. And I respect that. But to me, I guess that's kind of just a carpenter trait. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like, like, we don't have to show you. You're going to see. Yeah. yeah. Just just wait. Be patient. <laughs> <laughs> but in the next scene, we get a very tight shot of a clock as the hands move past 12.04 and we see the exterior lights coming on at a gas station. Suddenly, a fueling nozzle is ripped from the gas pump by an unseen hand and we see gasoline spilling onto the concrete. In the background, we see a car rising on a hydraulic lift as bells clang and the sale price of the wasted gas rises. <laughs> <laughs> It was still pretty cheap, though. I mean, yeah, of course it was. I was pretty jealous. I'm like, I'll take the ghost if we can get some yeah, no <laughs> cheap gas. I just like this because they really waste no time in telling you that this it's, it's the whole town. Uh-huh. Like, right. Shit is happening. I was like, this because of Mr. Macon's story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault, old man. We then see what appears to be a used car lot where suddenly every single vehicle's headlights turn on and their car alarms just go off incessantly into the night. In her home, though, we see Sandy Fidel, played by the fantastic Nancy Loomis, looking outside of her bedroom window, and she, I guess the car alarm for her car is going off as well, but she turns around when her TV starts emitting static, and then her chair just slides across the room. And she's like, that's that's fine. Yeah. yeah. There's no... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm so confused by this, because okay. <laughs> this never comes up again. No. <laughs> Just put that there. Yeah. <laughs> of course, uh, as I said, past and future collaborators, Nancy Loomis was also in Halloween. 
I love when directors bring people back. Same. Especially when it's Nancy Loomis. But (laughs) (laughs) back on the radio, Stevie has no update on the forecast, but she notes that there's a full moon tonight in the cloudless sky. She reminds us once again that she'll be sticking around for the next hour. It's like, yeah, we got it, guy. We know. It's funny because she talks after every single song. Okay, thank you. Because I was like, man, I'm going to get roasted for saying this. But Uh she was getting a little annoying at that point. I was like, all right. I'm still here. They're like, yeah, we know. I think think it's because it's Adrian Barbeau that we're like, we'll forgive it. It's fine. It's fine. But we see a truck speeding down the road with its driver, Nick Castle, played by Tom Atkins, listening to the broadcast. That's why God made fathers, babe. (laughs) That's why God made fathers. God made fathers. But Stevie asks the listeners to keep her turned on and she'll try to do the same for them. Nick's like, bet. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is this character is named after Nick Castle. Yes. Again, he's just reusing names from people he knows. (laughs) Didn't he play? He played Michael Myers. Yes, he played Michael Myers in Halloween. He would go on to co-write Escape from New York with John Carpenter. Okay, oh, shit. Yeah, which features Tom Atkins. And he lived through the fog. He did. So like, holy shit. <laughs> He's led a life. <laughs> but we see Nick notices a hitchhiker on the side of the road and he pulls over for her. After finding out how far Nick is going, she hops in the truck and we see that it's Elizabeth Solly, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Woo! <laughs> Jamie personally shout out to her yeah. <laughs> she's listening so hey Jamie she looks at him a little uneasily as he gets back on the road he takes a sip of beer and then offers her one and she accepts girl I I don't know if this is me living in a post-pandemic society <laughs> yes don't be doing that no, no I'm not gonna lie I was like oh the joys of not giving a fuck back <laughs> right. in the day because that's what it was. You had a soda. You know what I mean? We Let were me kids. drink it yeah, out yeah, of your you mouth. Want to yeah. There you go. You know what I mean? The, wipe it off, though. Yes. Wipe, yeah, wipe it off. Waterfall it. The worst <laughs> that would happen Waterfall is that it. it was the last 10% of the drink and it was all yeah. in the backwash. <laughs> you don't want that. No. And I just re- he's drinking and driving just like Father that's Malone. Fine. Yeah. Is this a running thing? It's fine. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it's the 80s. But Elizabeth says that she's never hitchhiked before and she asks Nick if he's weird. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm weird. Which, to me, is the best answer. Right. Yeah. Because if he's like, no, why would you think let that? Let me out. Yeah. That's it. Let me out. Let me out. <laughs> <laughs> but relieved that he's weird, she spills that the last driver she rode with was super boring, which totally contradicts her, I've never hitchhiked before an area. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was just a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she thinks for a second, and she realizes that Nick is her 13th ride, so he surmises that he's weird and unlucky. Suddenly, all the fucking windows in the vehicle shatter. (laughs) Nick just screeches to a stop as the jazz on the radio continues and Stevie's voice comes on. She once again reminds her listeners that it's April 21st. (laughs) And we get exterior shots of a lighthouse and we're taken inside, which is where the KAB radio station is located, which is badass. Yeah. It really is. That would be so cool. That would be like the greatest job. It would. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. You just got to hop on a lot. but After yeah. every song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Stevie tells her listeners of a celebration that's happening tonight for the town. I guess they're going to celebrate the centennial. But then she cuts the music and gets off the mic. She immediately receives a phone call from Dan O'Bannon, the weatherman played by Charles Cyphers. So very quickly again with these names, 
Dan O'Bannon is the name of the screenwriter who not only co-wrote Carpenter's 1974 film Dark Star, but he also wrote Alien the year prior to The Fog. Oh, shit. So it's like, that's really cool. That is. And of course, Charles Cyphers played Sheriff Brackett in Halloween. Right. It's just... (laughs) It's a family. Exactly. And I love it. So it's just kind of like Adam Sandler when he gets yeah, all his friends. Or Tarantino. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Once you find people you like. <laughs> oh, God. There is nothing wrong with Tarantino. <laughs> no, no, no. He was smiling when he said Adam Sandler and I said Tarantino and his entire face <laughs> dropped. All right, that Franco kid. What's his name? James? And, yeah, him and all his friends. They they do movies. Together. That Franco yes. kid. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But... <laughs> Dan asks if she'll be at the celebration, but she says she'll be working. Rather than have her hang up and leave the conversation empty-handed, Dan shares some news about a fog bank about 25 miles out that's going to be moving towards a vessel called the Seagrass. Stevie gets off the phone abruptly, hops right on the mic, and delivers the news in a very smooth radio DJ way. (laughs) She even gives a shout-out to the people on the Seagrass. She's like, to my friends on the Seagrass. I'm like, like, oh shit. You're the best. How cool would that be to hear? Roll it with it. Yeah. And I I do want to point out early, I love the kind of relationship slash non-relationship that her and Dan have. It's like a will they, won't they. Yeah. (laughs) It's very cute. I hope they will. Yes. (laughs) But I'll continue. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We're then taken to the Seagrass where the crew is listening in. Stevie says that she'll be playing a song by the Coupe de Villes dedicated to them. The Coupe de Villes is John Carpenter's band. (laughs) (laughs) But Tommy Wallace, played by George Buck Flower, peers out the porthole, while Al Williams, played by John F. Goff, and Dick Baxter, played by James Canning, recline in the background. Names. (laughs) A lot of names. Speaking of names, Tommy Wallace is a reference to Tommy Lee Wallace, (laughs) who not only is a member of the Coupe de Villes... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with Carpenter and the real Nick Castle, not Tom Atkins. Oh my God. But Tommy Wallace worked on Halloween where he helped design Michael Myers' mask. Hey. And he also edited this film and he also directed the It miniseries. Yeah, hey. nice. But I digress. I went from interested to, oh, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that guy. I'm done reading all these people's IMDb pages. <laughs> But the men chat about how hot Stevie Wayne is, and Dick says that he actually saw her at a grocery store once. While Tommy muses in the foreground that there's no fog bank out there, Al and Dick continue talking about Stevie and how she owns the lighthouse radio station, that her son plays Little League, etc. But Al's... Gossiping. Yeah. (laughs) Al's like, she has a kid? And then Dick was like, I thought you were married. And he's like, well, not happily. God damn. It's like, is this just ocean talk? I (laughs) I don't understand. But as Tommy once again states that there is no fog bank out there, we slowly see fog beginning to creep over the horizon. That's when he's like, hey, there's a fog bank out there. (laughs) (laughs) This part, like this whole part with just the men gave me the thing vibes. Hey, right. That's fair. It's like a test run. Right. (laughs) It's like, could I do it? Can we we recreate this? I can do it. But the other men decide to head back as to not get caught in the fog. As Dick heads up to redirect the ship, Al and Tommy peer out the window. Not only do they see that the fog is closing in rapidly, they see two lights beaming out of the fog. Dean Cundy's awesome. Like, I love the colors and uh-huh. the lights. You get these, like, reds and greens inside the ship and then the blue of the fog and the sea. When I saw this, I was like, T is going to 
write a poem about this. Like, <laughs> That'll come later. This is no, this yeah. is shit. I I don't know when I became so into cinematography, <laughs> but stuff like this. And there's a great shot. We'll talk. <laughs> Sorry, but. I did see on that featurette how they did the fog, mm-hmm. how they did the fog, how they created the fog. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of times it really was genuinely people blowing fog machines on right. set. But in other shots, like we see this over the sea, mm-hmm. there's a shot later over the mountains. They photographed the area by itself and then they crafted a blackout version of the area as a miniature model. And then they piped in the fog on the miniature model, photographed that, then combined the two shots to what we see on screen. <laughs> Damn. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. That's amazing, though. Like, you, Oh, yeah. You can't even tell sometimes. No. You're like, no, they just blew some fog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. But they did a great job with the fog. Because mm-hmm. it feels like a character on its own. Right, right. And, it's, and you can't control it. No, I think I just like uh, spooky water vapor, be it, <laughs> be it James Wan fog oh or this fog or the mist. Like I'm, I'm here for it. And there are a lot of overlaps with the mist when you think there about is. it. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I told her. I said every time I want to think about that, I think of the mist because yeah. I've seen the mist a lot. No, oh, yeah. I, and I was like, I was like, that's not the same movie. Fog, fog, <laughs> yeah. fog. Yeah, I I like, like, you better fog. watch out for those bug monsters. Yeah. Oh, wait. oh wait, that's not this. Wrong, wrong film. One. Wrong film. <laughs> But as the men join Dick upstairs, Fog creeps into the ship and makes short work of their generator. Al and Tommy go to check it out, and through the fog outside, they see the tattered wreckage of sails and a ship's mast through the fog. Very just eerie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in the stillness of the night and in the fog, we see the silhouettes of men holding hooks at the stern of the seagrass. That's right, folks. (laughs) Boat terminology. (laughs) (laughs) So they just went out there to get drunk and then go back home or? I think they were on their way back home, but I don't oh, know what they were doing. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out if they're commercial fishermen or not. Well, I didn't see any fish. I didn't yeah. see. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was no work happening. Well, that's see, that's why I was like, did they just go out there to drink and then they were going to yeah. go back? Or the the fucking gonna... asshole in the convenience store did more work then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think because of some dialogue later that they were expected back from oh, where right, and for right. how long. I it, do not yeah. know. Yeah. In the horrible 2005 remake, mm. this scene is just a party boat, kind of. Of course. Huh. <laughs> they, they are fishermen, but they're just like doing like some kind of girls gone wild situation. Oh, oh Lord. Yeah. I hate that remake. <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> don't. Yeah, yeah I'll I skip it. Yeah. But Al readies his flashlight, and before he can make out who these people are, a cutlass sword. I want to say sword, but it's not... <laughs> Because they're not ninjas. It's I mean, not it's Kill pirate ship, They're pirates. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a cutlass, right? <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. All right. So I'm trying to think of my uh, Monkey Island terminology. Yeah. That's yeah, a cutlass. <laughs> How cutlass. appropriate. Uh, you find that. Like <laughs> <laughs> first thing you think of is Monkey Island. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> that's my only pirate <laughs> frame of reference. Yeah. It's deeply ingrained. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But Al's murdered <laughs> <laughs> by a cutlass. And we see it pierce through his chest from behind. Another silhouette sinks his hook into Tommy as another stabs Al in the chest with a knife. We see the knife go in and it sounds brutal. Mm -hmm. But Tommy falls to the floor and a shot lingers on his eyes as the entire frame goes red. Did anybody else think of Psycho? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And there's uh, quite a few Psycho uh, references here. Yeah. Or really Hitchcock. There's one that's kind of interesting that I'll bring up later. But back inside, a silhouette steps through the fog to open the door where Dick is. The silhouette creeps toward Dick. 
<laughs> Come on, girl. <laughs> Why would anyone name Richard go by Dick? No offense. Yeah, I. No offense. Hey, it's a bold choice. I it respect is. it. I mean, you, you gotta. <laughs> I guess. But it creeps towards Dick, <laughs> and it raises him by the throat and stabs him through the face. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. But we get one last shot of the exterior of the seagrass as the fog continues creeping in. Very effective scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did read that according to an article on sci-fi in the original cut before Carpenter's like, I got to go reshoot some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this whole entire thing, the murders were not shown. Oh, wow. See, I like the murders. I, I do, do too. <laughs> like, it, I like the murders, John Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I do too, though, because it's like, oh, this is what we're doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. You crank it way up in this scene. Like the scene we see with the seagrass being covered in fog? Right. That's basically it. Wow. But with the murders, it's like you're adding kind of the slashery. Right, right. Yeah, because it's less like... Oh, I hope they're okay. It's like, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, shit no. Is dangerous. they are not yeah. fine. Did you see the frame turn red? <laughs> <laughs> but back on the radio, Stevie cuts to four tracks after a lead in. She says four tracks, but yeah. <laughs> but she has to announce it because it's so strange. <laughs> it's like, I know <laughs> what you're used to, Antonio Bay. But she's clearly exhausted and she lights up a cigarette and looks out the window of the lighthouse cool thing about these shots of her in the studio is the light of the lighthouse going around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This was actually, from what I read, a set. Huh. And so that was created. Oh, That's nice. cool. But she sees that the water is clear and Stevie says to herself that it beats Chicago. So I guess she... Was in Chicago. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like this idea because she seems good enough to make it in a big city. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the fact that maybe she came here because she just liked it here. Right. That's neat. It's endearing, too. It's a character, uh, yeah. you know, instead of just being like, no, this is just the radio lady. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but Dan calls her back on the phone, telling her that her info was incorrect that she gave about the fog. The fog is actually moving west, and it probably missed the seagrass completely. Oddly, Stevie realizes that this means that the fog is moving against the wind. But they flirt a little bit and Dan asks her to dinner. She playfully declines, but she watches as the fog disappears over the horizon. Mm -hmm. We then transition to Nick's house where he and Elizabeth are in bed listening to jazz on the radio. Y'all can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes. Um, (laughs) Go ahead, because John Paul's chomping at the bit. Okay. Please. Are we not just going to talk about how he just picked up this lady? Are we? No, yeah. We're going to talk about it. No, (laughs) but I'm saying really dude? no it's it, we blow the windows out of the car uh-huh and then i mean that's cool bro no, we show but, each other uh, the flesh yeah <laughs> <laughs> no hold on also we're not gonna talk about the fact that this man could literally be her father see uh, yeah i wasn't gonna kink shame that's I'm not, that's merely stating a fact I, it no, is a fact yeah. i'm He's not, old enough to be her dad <laughs> i'm not kink shaming either but it makes me like hmm, yeah what, come on what did we come miss? on nick yeah. What happened? Also, you know what happened is the glass shattered, and they're like, "We could have died. We might as well." You know, life you and know death. And yeah. Stuff. yeah. Yeah. Don't you feel something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I um read that Kurt Russell hmm. was offered a role, but uh-huh. I nobody would say which role, and I wonder if it was this, and that would make so much more sense because Kurt Russell was thirty, hmm. right? And Mr. Atkins, fifty-ish. Uh, I believe Soft he was, 50. if I'm not mistaken, he was 45. 
soft 50. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. I feel like it would have made more sense. Plus, it's Kurt Russell. I mean, that would just be easy to... Okay, yeah. Well, I think I like it better thinking of the fact that I just love Kurt Russell. Right. But <laughs> the real thing of it is I feel like Elizabeth on the road would be more inclined as a 22-year-old woman or whatever... Kurt Russell. To get in the car with Kurt Russell than right. Tom Atkins. Right. I mean, she's not even from here. And it's almost like... She a, doesn't even go here. It's, right, yeah. <laughs> she even go here. And going forward, like, not to spoil anything, but going forward, it's almost... It could have been, like, a father-daughter relationship, almost. But nah, y'all, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, I, we can, you can't unring a bell. No. We're, yeah, we're not no. going back from that. Some foghorns can't be un- <laughs> unhorned. <laughs> And it's funny because I had no problem when a similar situation happened in The Fly last week. But um, this, I'm like, there was no character development. Yeah. We don't, <laughs> y'all barely know each other's name. Uh, and it would make sense if they were both young. It would. Because yeah. you're young in the 80s. Everyone was banging. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Another thing I thought, too, because... If you think about it in the context of the rest of the movie, it's pretty unnecessary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wonder if Jamie Lee Curtis wanted to be unvirginized from Laurie Strode. Oh, all right, all right. That's a very. I'm like, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like, if you, if they're just sitting on his couch fully clothed, nothing changes (laughs) for the rest of the movie. Right. I did see an interview with her where she had talked about carpenter giving her the opportunity to play different characters mm-hmm. and so i think that makes She's a like, lot of I'm sense i'm not Laurie yeah. Strode. yeah not no repeats <laughs> but the two of them leaf through drawings that elizabeth has done during her travels she says that she plans to sell them because she's trying to make her way to vancouver post coitus they learn each other's names which is good i guess i mean <laughs> better late than never heat of the moment um <laughs> also it was odd to me that her name is Elizabeth, and isn't that the name of the boat? Yes, and I was thinking the same thing. Y'all, y- you could have named her anything. You could have. <laughs> Y'all gave her that name. Now, the remake does something real stupid with oh, that. Oh, Lord. So geez. maybe it's good that we just have two names. She is the boat. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> She's not. <laughs> Surprise, bitches. <laughs> But it turns out that Elizabeth is from Pasadena and is on some kind of journey to figure out what she wants to do with her life. When Nick finds a drawing that he loves, he asks if he can buy it from her, but she gives it to him for free and they kiss. They're in love. It's beautiful. Uh, All right. (laughs) Despite everything we just said. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's a love story. (laughs) Yeah. Just (laughs) (laughs) Just then, though, we hear a knock at the door. We get a shot of the door itself, which is more windows than anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a horrible front door. But we see it's completely filled with fog, and a silhouette stands at the center, knocking even more. Nick gets out of bed to check it out, and from outside, we see it's a hook that's doing the knocking. So it's like, ah, shit. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) But just as Nick makes it to the door, the silhouette just slips away into the fog. We hear the bell ring on a grandfather clock near the door as Nick goes to unlock the door. Saved by the bell. (laughs) No joke. (laughs) Saying next time. (laughs) But we do see a hook raised outside, ready to strike. But before Nick can open the door, the glass on the clock shatters. 
We then hear Stevie sign off on the radio until her return tomorrow at 6 p.m. And Nick opens the door to see nothing but the shoreline. <laughs> like how the clock shatters. Like, I said. Fog's yeah. <laughs> like, damn it. Dude, that makes it even funnier that it's one o'clock because he picked her up at like 1210 or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they move quick. Listen. It's the 80s. But the man is gorgeous as Tom Atkins. Who wouldn't? Are you being paid to say that? <laughs> <laughs> The next morning, we see Andy Wayne, who is Stevie's son, played by Ty Mitchell. He's running along the shoreline with a fishing pole, just being a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Along the algae-covered rocks, he finds a gold coin. But when the waves crash over it, the coin turns into a plank of wood that reads, Dane. The music gets tense as fuck. Yeah, I was going to say, I really like the score Yeah, dude, This main theme of piano and synth is just Mm -hmm. the coolest. John Carpenter. Of course. Of course. He's the best. But Andy runs inside the house and we pan across family photos and a newspaper clipping from when Stevie bought the radio station. Andy wakes up his mother, whose energy bar is probably on the red. (laughs) (laughs) But he just wakes her up so he can show her the plank. Stevie tells him that she loves him, but that he can be a real pain sometimes. Don't put that dirty ass thing in my bed. That's just inconsiderate. I'm pissed already. piece of wood kid get that shit <laughs> yeah. out of here cool. yeah. yeah wow <laughs> found it on the dirty ass ground yeah here, mom. <laughs> you're gonna come well, with in it? the water <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you fucker. All fucking dirty yeah. and wet fish are shitting in there and stuff you're grounded <laughs> you're grounded <laughs> he doesn't care and just wants her to look at the plank as we've described <laughs> <laughs> she very groggily asks if he had a good time the night before and as it turns out he was one of the kids that Mr. Macon told the ghost story to by the campfire. Mm-hmm. She asks if he thanked Mrs. Kobritz for bringing him home, and he says that he did. Then he asks if he can have a stomach pounder and a Coke, and she says that he can after lunch. This confused me a lot. Because <laughs> that sounds like a meal. That sounds like lunch. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like a Dairy Queen meal. And yeah. Although, I mean, marketing-wise, <laughs> stomach pounder isn't the best. No. <laughs> sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> But of course, Kobritz again is the name of a producer. Of course, it is. That Carpenter worked with actually produced Someone's Watching Me, which featured Adrian Barbeau and <laughs> Charles Cyphers. <laughs> I did read that, and this is just nuts. Two weeks after that TV film wrapped, Carpenter started filming Halloween. Wow. He was busy that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was a busy spring. But Andy leaves the plank to go look for another one, and he's hopeful that he'll get the gold coin this time. And Stevie observes that dirty-ass plank that he just left left on her bed. Hey, bye, Mom. What the fuck? Maybe I'm crazy, but I think way more emphasis should be put on the fact that this was a gold coin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He straight up told her, and she's just like, cool story, bro. Just a piece of wood. I get she's tired. Right. (laughs) And maybe maybe Andy just talks a lot of shit. I don't know. I've never had kids. Do they just... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Problem solved. But at the dock... Nick and Elizabeth approach Hank the Doc Master, played by Jim Haney. Doc Master? Yeah. I just call me that now. I don't know what they do, but I just like the name. (laughs) It comes with a lot of responsibility. No? No? (laughs) All right. But Nick is looking for Al, who hasn't been seen since the night before, and I guess he was supposed to meet Al this morning at 730. So they're just a thing now, huh? Yeah, because Elizabeth's just there. Yeah. 
It's like <laughs> yeah, you I told, just accepted it's a it. love story. No, I already no. told you that. It's beautiful. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's the whole point of the movie, isn't it? <laughs> but Hank says they probably just got trashed out on the water and just stayed out there. But Nick says that he knows Al better than that, and he thinks that something fishy is going on with his sailor friend's absence. I like at this point how it's all like coming together. Yes. Like the pieces that we've seen, mm-hmm. it's like they're like interacting with each other now. Like a <laughs> film. i like that stuff is happening yeah and it's connected to other stuff (laughs) (laughs) but hank says that he he worries too much and then nick and elizabeth just bail planning to talk to a guy called ashcroft to talk him into actually going out and looking for the seagrass Mm mm-hmm Elizabeth, I guess, is putting her Vancouver plans on hold because she's in Fell love. in love. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so at the campgrounds, Kathy Williams, the event planner played by Janet Lee, goes over the details with Sandy, her assistant, who we briefly met earlier, the static on the TV and the chair moving, yes. if you recall. <laughs> the super chill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fine. So this is the bold psycho reference I was alluding to is him casting Janet Lee. (laughs) (laughs) The crazy thing, though, that I saw on that featurette is that after Janet Lee watched Halloween, she told Carpenter, if you ever have a role for a middle aged woman, (laughs) I'd love to play it. I love that. You know, and then also you get her in the same film as her daughter. It's just awesome. This would also happen in H2O, though. Yes, it would. But this movie is better. (laughs) (laughs) Hands down. The other cool uh, Hitchcock connection, though, is that they filmed a couple scenes at Bodega Bay, which is where Hitchcock filmed part of The Birds. Oh, cool. So he just loves loves this dude, even though he was an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, he was. (laughs) But the plan for the evening is a set of speeches followed by a candlelight procession, and then Kathy will go home to pass out, is what she says. They check out a statue that I guess will be unveiled during the celebration. Mm -hmm. And after determining that it's not so bad, they head to Kathy's car. Sandy is super snarky, which I love. She has Annie Brackett energy. She does. You know what? I was like, you know, I thought I was in love with Annie Brackett. Maybe it's just Nancy (laughs) Loomis. (laughs) I learned something about myself. But it does seem like they have everything under control, even though they're playfully going back and forth. Right. And their dynamic is just very funny to me. It is. In the next scene, we get these pretty fantastic scenic shots of the bay as Stevie drives down the road with the Dane Plank riding passenger. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not it's sure like why. You're, yeah. You're palling around with me today, Plank. <laughs> it would have made a lot more sense if she just left it at home. It would have. But, you know, uh, Nick and Elizabeth end up in bed together. Now they're palling around and her and the Plank <laughs> ended up in bed together. Now they're palling around. It's a love it's story. It's a love story. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't one of the kids from uh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie? Yeah, had a, <laughs> that's had a true. Fucking plank, right? There's an origin story. <laughs> hey, there you go. But on the radio, we hear an announcement from the Coast Guard that the seagrass has gone missing about 15 miles from Spivey Point, and that if anyone sees the ship, they need to contact the Coast Guard immediately. Later, we see Nick and Elizabeth are on a boat with Ashcroft, played by Fred Franklin, searching for the seagrass. They eventually spot it through binoculars, and Nick is like, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) I didn't get that. Back on the road with Mrs. Williams and Sandy, we finally make the connection that Al, one of the crew members on the seagrass, is Kathy's husband. 
And when she says that she called the Coast Guard asking about him since he didn't come home the night prior, they told her not to worry and that it could just be engine trouble. And so instead of worrying about him at home and waiting for him, she just decided to throw herself into her work. Is he, isn't he the one that said he wasn't happily married? Yes, he yeah. was. You know what, Al? You can stay your ass out in the fucking yeah. seagrass. And that's why you got stabbed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Actions have consequences. Those ghouls heard that. Like, did he just fucking say he hates his wife? Oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) But she says that at midnight, her dog started to bark at the ocean and didn't stop until 6 (laughs) a.m. His throat is raw. (laughs) Her neighbors are like, God damn. (laughs) That reminds me, I saw this meme on Twitter the other day. Somebody Googled, do do dogs ever get tired of barking? And Google said no. (laughs) And they were like, this is fucking unbelievable. (laughs) But Sandy tells her about what happened to her the night before with the car alarms, but leaves out the whole (laughs) (laughs) chair moving across the room on its own. She wasn't bothered. To me, that's the scariest part. The chair Uh, just does that sometimes. Yeah, no, the car alarm. Yeah, yeah. that was the weirdest thing that happened that that night. (laughs) No. But Sandy remarks that Antonio Bay sat there for a hundred years of nothing, and then suddenly it all falls apart overnight. Back on the water, Nick, Elizabeth, and Ashcroft hop onto the seagrass, but don't find any of the men in the cabin. Ashcroft posits that someone could have picked them up and remarks that there's still water in the generator, but that the deck is dry. I'm assuming that's important, but I don't know enough about boats. The deck is dry? Oh, Oh, that's bad. Yeah, that means (laughs) ghouls murdered them. (laughs) Something came out of the fog. Yeah, it's just a clear path to that. I mean, obviously. Yeah, A to B. (laughs) But we see Kathy and Sandy arrive at the Morgantown Road Cemetery, which Kathy is interested in renovating, and the two women walk up to the entrance of the church, which is nearby. She asks Sandy to get an estimate for the renovation, and Sandy replies with a sarcastic, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Kathy's like, you're the only person that can make yes, ma'am sound like screw you. And Sandy's like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I love this woman. But Kathy knocks on the door, saying that she hopes Father Malone hasn't been drinking, but the door just creaks open on its own. <laughs> Sandy's like, not a good sign. So they cautiously make their way inside, calling out to Father Malone, who doesn't answer. Sandy's like, another bad sign. Yeah. (laughs) So they decide to split up and find him. Horror movies. Of course. Of course, I have to point out that I love the lighting in the church. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) There's reds and purples and blues. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, depending on where they're walking, which light hits them. But I'll get back to the plot. (laughs) (laughs) Out of nowhere. Father Malone just lurches up out of the darkness. <laughs> what a fucking creep. You literally heard them calling you. And he's like, yeah. no, I'm going to stay put. Yeah, I'm going to wait in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he did that, but <laughs> Kathy's like, Jesus. And then very adorably apologizes for saying Jesus to a priest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I loved that. But Father Malone says that he has something to show her as the eerie piano plays again. We see the three of them gathered at a table as Malone reads from Patrick Malone's diary. Patrick wrote on December 9th, 1880, that he met with someone called Blake for the first time who hid his face in the shadows. (laughs) That's always a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) Can you step into the light? Can I know who I'm talking to? (laughs) Blake apparently is very rich, 
but he also suffered from leprosy, and he's attempting to better the conditions of his community at the leper colony. But we cut back to the seagrass, where Nick and Elizabeth see all the gauges are broken, which reminds them of the glass shattering in the truck, which caused them to fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> it was Cupid's arrow. No, exactly. The no, all no, three windows. No. <laughs> it's beautiful. But... Nick also sees that the thermometer is stuck at 20 degrees, which does not make any logical sense. Back at the church, (laughs) Father Malone reads that Blake had plans to relocate the leper colony just north of town and bought the Elizabeth Dane to aid in the relocation. Patrick notes that he has to balance his compassion and sympathy with his own fear of having a leper colony one mile from the town. I mean... (laughs) I can't. I mean, I don't know what leprosy really is. You're, don't your body parts fall off? I think in the more extreme cases, they, <laughs> <laughs> they might. That's all I've ever <laughs> heard. It's contagious, yeah, right? Is that all you need I to know? Guess, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if they're like if they on have to live in a, a colony, colony. Yeah. I'd say it's not not contagious. It's not like super chill or anything. No, but you're a priest. Okay. I mean, I thought priests were supposed to be. You know, priests have anti leprosy. Spray that they put on everybody. Yeah, it's called holy water. (laughs) I don't fucking know. I'm not religious, but (laughs) on the ship, Nick and Elizabeth head down below the deck. After a short conversation about fishing, Elizabeth hands Nick a beer can that she found and is some reason filled with salt water. Okay. (laughs) Are you? (laughs) I already know. Why did he taste it though? Because he wanted beer. <laughs> no, he's like, I'll finish. He, he sniffed it. He, he did. sniffs it and then pours it in his hand and is like, it's salt water. Yeah. What are it's you like doing? A, a fucking hummingbird? <laughs> oh, that's sugar water. That's yeah. different. Are you an anti hummingbird? <laughs> <laughs> but the salt water confuses Nick. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. yeah. Same. Back in the church, Father Malone continues reading. From midnight to 1 a.m., Patrick and five others planned the murder of Blake and his comrades. While the thought of using Blake's gold to better the church and the town seemed reasonable enough, Patrick was still racked with guilt for being an accomplice to murder. Well, yeah, <laughs> understandably. Kind of a big deal. It was at this point that I'm like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. It's not just some ghosts mucking about. No. no yeah. Like mad that they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're vengeful. Yes. I'm like, man. And they should be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But back on the seagrass, Nick and Elizabeth wait for the Coast Guard. Elizabeth apologizes, thinking that she might be bad luck. But Nick says that he doesn't believe in luck or anything, really. Mm, except for love. It's true love. <laughs> <laughs> But then he tells the story about his father, who was a fisherman. One night when he was out fishing, his father noticed a ship called the Risa Jane out near Spivey Point, and it was heading straight for them. He and a couple of his men boarded the ship, and although they didn't find anyone on board, they found food on the table and a hot cup of coffee, which his father probably tasted. (laughs) (laughs) Poured in his hand and and then slurped it it up up. (laughs) like a cat. But... His father then saw a gold doubloon from 1867 and took it home with him. However, after telling Nick, child Nick, the story, he unzipped his jacket to give him the coin, but it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> Think was it about a piece that. of wood? <laughs> He's like, Here's, I just found a giant wooden yeah. blank in my... <laughs> How the fuck did you fit that in there? Yeah. Now that's magic. Yeah. Now that's incredible, dad. But to punctuate Nick's creepy-ass story, 
the locker next to Elizabeth burst open, spilling its contents next to her and scaring the hell out of her. Yeah. Elizabeth jokes that she thinks she'll go to Vancouver now and reaches out to close the locker. But behind her, Dick's eyeless corpse falls from the shadows, draping itself onto her back as she screams. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I like to think that the body was like waiting for him to finish the story. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, what happened to the coin? <laughs> That's really what he was trying to find <laughs> yeah. out. It's like, it disappeared. That's it. I'm scaring both. <laughs> Fuck that. It's not even good. Anticlimactic. <laughs> but I do like that this is, to me, such a smart double scare. Because as Nick was talking, we saw the lockers moving. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, oh, it's gonna, something's going to yeah. happen. And then it does. But it's misdirection for something way scarier. Yeah, yeah. way worse. <laughs> yeah. Back at the church, Father Malone reads that the murder was committed on April 21st as their false fires on the shore caused the shipwreck. Patrick writes that a fog rolled in, which aided in their actions, and he begs for the Lord's forgiveness after he says that they'll recover the gold in the morning. He's like, I'm sorry, but I'm not that sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We will be using the gold. But it's like, we did not come here for this. No. (laughs) It's crazy. But Father Malone says that tonight's celebration is a travesty honoring murderers. And this is when the thing is, is that's very interesting is that apparently, according to John Carpenter, there was a shipwreck in the late 1700s, maybe early 1800s outside of Goleta, California, and the people on the land like took all the gold and shit. Mm -hmm. He said this story is basically the fog. So (laughs) (laughs) the thing is, though, is that I was getting vibes of American history mm-hmm. of taking shit and then how cool it would be us. for people <laughs> that yeah exactly yeah. celebrating fucking murderers mm-hmm. and how cool it would be if people got their revenge <laughs> 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 so it was at this point that I was like I don't think the ghouls are villains no no they're just living their truth (laughs) (laughs) and again we love a revenge story especially when the revenge is justified yeah and it is and it is maybe but these guys didn't necessarily do it well so it's misplaced it's it's valid but it's misplaced i love the cinnamon (laughs) (laughs) but here we are i also love cinnamon (laughs) (laughs) in the next scene (laughs) We see Stevie arrive at the lighthouse and head inside while listening to a tape of lead-ins for the radio station. You said she arrives and heads inside. This bitch walks like five miles. Yeah. (laughs) Like, can we get a parking lot down here? (laughs) I counted like 800 steps. (laughs) No, yeah, that's a way. Yeah. The thing is, is that on that featurette, Adrienne Barbeau was talking about it and how arduous it was to come down those steps. But she said that it was even worse for the crew. Oh, oh I God. bet. Yeah, I bet. Because they had to bring like everything. Yeah. But I'm just thinking about her and those little cute boots she was wearing. Like, that would have <laughs> been fun. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> the boots. The boots. <laughs> I do want to say, because we get this really great shot of not only her going down the stairs, but the lighthouse and the ocean mm-hmm. behind her. Yeah. I read that they filmed this film in anamorphic Panavision which is like an extra wide aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. And so you get all these cool shots. And through these cool shots, you forget that the movie was only made for a million dollars. Damn, really? Yeah, you yeah. do. You really do. It gives it like this bigger... Grand, like grandiose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but it's the shots like this you're like all right dean cundy mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i see you i see you but stevie heads up the spiral staircase to the station proper setting her things down we see that she's also carried the Dane Plank inside. Yeah. <laughs> They're dating now. I've oh, made God. myself clear on that. She's like, this is where I work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she sets it on the table. Back at the church, Father Malone explains that he found the journal the night before in the walls just after midnight. When Sandy remarks that that's when the rest of the town was kind of falling apart, Malone realizes that it's also the same time that the conspirators met a hundred years ago to plot the murder of Blake and his comrades. What a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kathy's like, uh, not much we can do about that now, but (laughs) are you going to give the benediction tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sandy is sitting behind them like, wrap it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you got places to be, Kathy. We have shit to do. (laughs) To answer her, Malone says that the town is cursed and Sandy takes that as a no. Well, no, she doesn't just take it as a no. She turns to Sandy and goes, maybe it's just as well. Like at full volume. Yeah. <laughs> he can hear you. He's the drunk, but just he has hell. ears. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy's very kind. And she said that she's going to have a doctor come by and check on Father Malone. And Malone's like, we're all cursed. And they just kind of sneak it's out. like, can you yeah. stop? They're like, we got, <laughs> I gotta go do to not store. have time. Yeah. <laughs> But at the radio station, as Stevie pours herself a cup of coffee, we see that the plank is leaking water through the carved letters. I love how that looks. It looks so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Practical. Of course. The water reaches Stevie's tape player, which causes the lead-ins to warp. A distorted voice says, something that one lives with, like an albatross around the neck. No, more like a millstone, a plumbing stone by God. Damn them all. And <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that voice is creepy as fuck. Oh, it though. is. And it, I don't know. I'm getting a lot of creep show vibes. It is. Yeah. You know, you get the water, you get mm-hmm. the ghouls. It's yeah. almost to tide you over. Something to tide, to tide you, over. you over. I can hold my breath. <laughs> Blake couldn't, but no. oh, that's mean. <laughs> but we tilt up to the plank, which now reads six must die. Out of nowhere, there's an explosion and fire covers the surface of the plank. Stevie screams and puts out the fire with an extinguisher. And as the smoke clears, the plank again reads, Dane. And then the KAB lead-ins just continue as normal, but Stevie looks shaken as hell. Well, yeah. I respect the fact that they still only want the six. Yeah. Right. Because if I waited a fucking hundred years, this whole town, we're we're fucking it up. Yeah, like, Antonio Bay's done. It's you're you're gone. You're a yeah. fucking crater. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I don't know why the plank is giving away all the secrets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a very cool scene. It it is. It's it's intense. Yes. It is. But in all fairness, that water barely reached the side of that fucking tape recorder it was the 80s okay yeah <laughs> i'm just Very saying sensitive. the plank is like you're opening up to me and showing me where you work let me open up to you exactly. and- oh, show, right, you, show you where i've been <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because as the fucking creepy ass voice comes on stevie's not like they didn't say kab once yeah. <laughs> the, the worst lead in i've ever Who heard am I listening to <laughs> but back on the water nick and elizabeth are being taken back to land by the coast guard Elizabeth is obviously not feeling too hot after what she just witnessed, but the strangest thing is Dick's body was covered in seaweed and his lungs were filled with salt water. How does Nick have the autopsy report on what was yeah. in this man's lungs? I think he had he him cough and then yeah. tasted it. <laughs> he poured it in his hand. <laughs> yeah. 
Can you tilt him over so I can get a taste? That's salt, salt water. <laughs> but Nick wonders how Dick could have drowned if he never went into the water. Elizabeth asks if Nick saw his eyes and then he holds her close because they're in love. Right. Pure, <laughs> true no. love. <laughs> I, I think this adds such an interesting wrinkle because it's terrifying enough that these ghouls come out of the fog and kill them. Right. Mm-hmm. But now it's like they're leaving these victims in the same condition that they were probably right. found. Right. Oh, all right. That's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe they didn't need to fuck them up so hard with the knives and stuff <laughs> if, they were, if they were just going to make them look drowned. drowned. I don't know. <laughs> But they do have a lot of anger to get out. It's been a hundred years. They've been waiting. But back at the Wayne house, <laughs> I almost said Wayne Manor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Andy answers the telephone and it's Stevie. She asks where he got that plank of wood and he reiterates that he found it on the beach this morning by the rocks. He's like, bitch, I tried to <laughs> tell you. It's like, were you, you just were out yeah. of it. <laughs> but he explains about the magic again with the gold coin and she tells him to stay away from the beach and to not pick anything else up unless she's there with him. She confirms that Mrs. Kobritz is there to watch him and makes him promise that he won't leave the house tonight. She tells him that she loves him and he says, me too. Yeah, I didn't like that either. Yeah. <laughs> you, I'm sorry, what? I was like the dreaded me I, too. Yeah, I, I like, hate oh, it. Wow. Like, he's mad. My thing is, she seems like a great mom, but she could have taught him some better phone etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> My thing is, why are you setting down rules and not even talking to the woman that's watching Oh, yeah. Him? Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I'll let her know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He could have said, I love you, too. That's all. Yeah. It, it infuriates me. If somebody loves me, say, <laughs> just say, say I love me. you. Don't say me, too. Yeah, I hate it. But Stevie looks back to the plank and somehow gathers the gumption to go live on the air after everything she's seen. <laughs> yeah. She's a pro. She begins the broadcast saying that she's got a great playlist to ring in the centennial of Antonio Bay and is like, let's get down to business. She then shuts off the on-air light as jazz begins to play and looks worried as fuck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she can turn it on and off. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> but Mrs. Kobritz, played by Regina Walden, checks on Andy back at the house, who's looking out the window. He asks her what those clouds out there are, and we see across the horizon that the fog is creeping over the bay. At the morgue, Dr. Fibes, played by Darwin Jostin, looks over Dick's body. He comments on lacerations and wounds that Dick suffered, as well as the fact that his thorax was crushed and his lungs are filled with fluid. And his name is obviously a reference to Dr. Fibes, <laughs> Vincent Price. Right. You know. But Nick goes out to chat with Dr. Fibes while Elizabeth waits inside the room with the body. Okay. Hold on. Because <laughs> the coroner's like, can we can we have a moment or can we talk whatever? I will give y'all the room. Yes. Let me, I'm good on staying here with fucking Aquaman. Yeah. Y'all can, <laughs> I will leave. Gladly I will leave. It kills me because she's like, I'll stay in the room with the body and then turns her back to the body. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't do that. I was just wondering why, why is there's no gloves? He doesn't have a mask. It was He's the just, 80s. He's yeah. probably eating a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Tasting the water out of it. Was yeah. salt water? It's salt water. Yeah. <laughs> no test needed. Nick wasn't joking. <laughs> but outside the room, Nick tells him about the state of the seagrass. He says it was covered in rust as if it had been out there for forever. Five says that Dick's wounds are covered in algae with fluid in his lungs and silts under his fingernails. He then says that he remembers seeing Dick a few days ago in town, but now he's on his table looking as if he's been underwater for months. 
Nick suddenly feels a chill. He's like, is it cold in here? <laughs> like, <laughs> while he's <Yeah>. talking. <laughs> it's like, for real, dude. It's like, can you calm down? <laughs> but Fibes tells him that the evidence points to Dick Baxter dying in the ocean, despite the fact that Nick and Elizabeth found him on the ship below the deck. Back inside the room, we see Dick reach up from under the sheet on the table for a scalpel. After he snags it, he slowly creeps out of the sheet and we see his legs reach the ground in a pretty cool shot. And we learn that Elizabeth has no peripheral vision no. whatsoever. <laughs> she's just turning around. She's singing the song she sang in Halloween. Yeah. So is he a zombie now? See, that's or- where I'm kind of... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the story here. I'll We'll talk in a second. <laughs> But Dick walks over to Elizabeth and we hear Fives outside telling Nick that he's seen bodies recently that have been underwater for 10 days and he swears that Dick has been down there longer. Before Dick can advance on Elizabeth, he collapses loudly on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth screams and both men come rushing in to find the corpse on the ground. Fibes takes off his glasses like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And we see that the scalpel has carved a three into the tile. Nick holds Elizabeth close as we hear a foghorn blaring in the distance. So, very quickly, this entire sequence was added to the film. Wow. <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing. And I just found it very funny that he's updating us on the fog's progress. Yeah. We've killed three. <laughs> just so you know. Yeah. Even though you don't know anything about the plank that Stevie found. Or there's... <laughs> Or there's three left to kill. Oh, that's even worse. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, three like, what to does go. What three mean? But yeah, I was a little taken aback because I was like, what about Al's corpse and Tommy? Are yeah. they going to come back? It doesn't matter. Are they part of the ghoul crew now? <sighs> well, then why'd they leave Dick behind? He was tired. <laughs> They're like, oh, we cut his eyes out. Yeah. <laughs> this just doesn't... It, doesn't make a lot I don't of sense. know. <laughs> I think it's added in because it's we need a scare right now. Right. And it's effective, but if you dig into yeah. it. Don't, don't look too close. No. Just uh just let it go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the foghorn echoes over shots of the bay, the road, the shore, and the surrounding area, and we see the fog slowly creeping in. The town grows darker until it's finally the night of April twenty first and Antonio Bay. We get shots of the empty town as that eerie piano plays. At the celebration, dozens of residents sit on bleachers as the mayor gives a speech discussing the founding of Antonio Bay, acknowledging but totally glossing over the history behind the founding of the town. As we as Americans (laughs) often do. You ever been to a history class? (laughs) (laughs) But at a nearby bar, Sheriff Sims, played by John Vick, reassures Kathy that the Coast Guard is out there and they'll hopefully find Al but all they can do is wait. The sheriff leaves because he's the next speaker after the mayor, and Sandy comforts Kathy, who is clearly very worried. She doesn't know what he had said about her. (laughs) So, you know, fuck Al. (laughs) But Kathy says that all she can think about is her dog barking at the water the night before, but she dries her tears and says she needs to head out to the celebration, considering she was instrumental in putting it together. Okay. I understand that the show must go on, right? but this is some, um, like Nancy Grace would have a field day, okay? Your husband is missing and you're out here fucking giving speeches? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I never said we were happily married. <laughs> 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 but Kathy thanks Nick for his help and leaves the bar with Sandy. Nick walks down the bar to sit with Elizabeth 
And over the radio, Stevie says that there will be a candlelight procession in about an hour, but she also shares news from the Coast Guard. The seagrass has been found, but there's no word on the condition of the ship or the whereabouts of the men on board. She says that she'll share more when she knows more, and that she hopes no one else gets lost out in the fog. Nick takes a shot of liquor. I guess somebody referenced The Shining. (laughs) (laughs) He excuses himself from Elizabeth's company to head over to the payphone. So I was wondering, I was like, did the Coast Guard keep that info quiet to not ruin the celebration? Because they're like, we don't know anything about the men on board, but they totally found Dick's eyeless body. Yeah, they did. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I mean, shit. Like, well, April 22nd. (laughs) Earth Earth Day is not that important, right? (laughs) We'll talk about it then. But Nick calls Stevie at KAB and asks her some clarification on what she said about the fog. We get a shot of the fog creeping over the water as Stevie explains that she saw the fog last night and that it was glowing. She says even though it sounds nuts, she saw the fog moving against the wind, and as it rolled in, that's when the town went unglued. She puts him on hold for a second to tend to some radio business. She has to let everyone know <laughs> She's like, who she is. One yes. song played. <laughs> <laughs> but on the radio, she says that she's got more birthday music on the way, as well as a check-in with Dan the Weatherman. On the road, we see Dan in his car, smiling slyly at the radio, <laughs> saying he's ready to check in with her. <laughs> it's so cute, though. I thought it was adorable. It's a love story. but <laughs> This is a rom-com. <laughs> As he drives by on the road, we see the glowing fog creeping onto the road behind him through the trees. Back at the station, Stevie tells Nick about the Dane plank that Andy found that morning. Uh, conveniently leaving out all the supernatural shit that happened. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> He's the best person to tell because yeah. he has the story from his dad right. about the coin. But no. No. We don't talk about ghost chairs. We don't talk about no. haunted planks. No. Did she say about it leaking? Maybe. Still not enough. Yeah. No. <laughs> Could have done more. But we see Dan arrive at work, relieving his coworker Mel, played by Darrow Egis. Is he wearing Chris Evans' sweater from Knives Out? <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have been. That's that's great. Mel teases him about his crush on Stevie because Dan wasn't even supposed to be here today. Dante status. <laughs> but Mel tells him about a massive fog bank moving in from the southeast. After Mel leaves, Dan looks at the equipment and we can see the fog as a green light on the radar. Looks pretty cool. I don't want to be a weatherman or anything in the 80s, but that was pretty <laughs> neat. That's cool. <laughs> but at the bar... Nick invites Elizabeth to go with him to the lighthouse on Spivey Point. In the next scene, Dan calls Stevie at the station to tell her about the fog bank on the radar. This really unnerves her, especially when he says it should be reaching the weather station in five or ten minutes. Stevie hops onto the mic to give her weather update, but gives the specific instructions as to where the weather station is. This causes Nick to turn his truck around and head for the (laughs) (laughs) weather station. I guess now that he knows that the fog is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Stevie gets back on the phone with Dan and he tells her that the fog should be outside his door by now. Stevie turns off the lights at the station and can see the fog glowing from her window. Dan's like, it's fog. Fog is fog. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Dan, read the room. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Do you not hear how worried she is? But he's like, you know, there's nothing special about it. Behind him, though... We can see the fog accumulating outside the window, glowing very bright. Suddenly, the lights go out at the weather station. 
He also notices that the temperature is dropping, and when he sees the light of the fog, he thinks someone's just fucking around, so he puts Stevie on hold to go check it yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Stop, dude. He's, what makes me laugh is he's like, well, they're going to be mad to find out that I'm home. Yeah. It's like, what, is, what a badass. What <laughs> he's trying to impress her. He's like, Stevie needs to know I can take care of her. Oh, fuck. <laughs> There's suddenly a knock at the door, and the red emergency light fills the room. Very cool visual. Mm -hmm. Dan heads for the door as Stevie begs for him not to answer it. He opens the door, but nobody's there. He yells to Stevie that someone is taking the centennial a little too seriously. Which I'm like, what? What? About the ghouls? (laughs) Were you there when Mr. Macon was telling them? (laughs) But just then, with something that sounds like steam from a valve... We see a hand reach out from the fog and grab Dan by the neck before sinking a hook into his throat. Stevie screams for Dan as we see him disappear into the flashing light of the fog with a scream. Poor Dan. No, yeah. poor Dan. What? Yes, poor he Dan. Stood I there was shipping for, them. He stood there he for did. 10 minutes uh-huh. talking. <laughs> just yelling yeah. to her. Dude, close the door. <laughs> what are you doing? And yelling back to yeah. the house. <laughs> and go pick up the phone. Oh, yeah. it's just some kids. I don't know. Some kids with a fog machine. <laughs> also, why wasn't he good enough to be made a zombie? Oh, that's true. He didn't get to write nothing. No. no. Blake <laughs> he is. He gets a car yeah. before in the crowd. <laughs> oh, no. Blake is very selective. <laughs> I I will admit, though, whenever the specter grabbed Dan, I jumped. It's like, oh, oh shit. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not a jumper, but this got me. No, it's good. At the station, Stevie watches the fog, somberly realizing that it's too late to save Dan. She breaks into the music to get back on the mic, sending out an emergency broadcast, asking Sheriff Sims to call into the station immediately. Back at the celebration, Kathy is giving her speech about the struggle and sacrifice that their forebearers went through in the founding of Antonio Bay, and again, leaving out the (laughs) horrible history (laughs) (laughs) that she knows better than anyone. Mm -hmm. But Sims is seated on the stage and gets word of Stevie's distress call, so he heads into the bar to use the phone. As he dials, we see fog engulf the phone lines, shooting sparks and ending any possibility of communication. The fog's not fucking around. Took out no. the whole town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even worse, as the town folks are lighting their candles for the procession, we see the fog making short work of the power grid. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Straight up exploding it. <laughs> And it causes the town to go dark. So the fog has... Fucking fog. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, first we'll get the phone lines yeah. so they can't call for help. <laughs> These are some Strategic. smart yeah. <laughs> But despite the loss of power, Kathy urges everyone to head to the statue for the candlelight procession. At the station, Stevie looks out the window to see the fog is approaching the shore. Again, such a neat shot. Mm-hmm. The sky is red now. Yeah. And... The water is a bluish purple, and the fog is green. The fog's like showing yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's like, look, this movie's named after me. I need, <laughs> I, I need to deliver. bring it. <laughs> but Stevie's like, oh shit, I got a son, and <laughs> and remembers that Andy's just sitting at home with Mrs. Cobritz, and so she runs down the spiral staircase to kickstart the generator. At Wayne Manor, we see. <laughs> Mrs. Kobritz is lighting candles and chatting it up with Andy, but she notices the fog creeping across the front of the house. She tells Andy to make sure all the windows in the house are closed, and Stevie, thankfully, gets the generator to start at the station and runs back upstairs. She screams directly into the microphone for Mrs. Kobritz to get Andy out of the house and gives her address for anyone nearby to help them out. 
I feel bad for anyone listening because they're like, I do not know this song. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm here for the jazz. Yeah. Help um, Andy. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> what? Who's Andy? I don't know that running outside was the best advice. Run directly into the <laughs> fog, Andy. <laughs> I was confused. Well, she said, yeah. sometimes you're a pain. She's like, uh, all right. now's my chance. Now he's never a pain. <laughs> But we then see Nick and Elizabeth arrive at the weather station, which is totally empty. And Nick tries to use the phone, but of course it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. They get back into their truck where they hear Stevie's frantic cries over the radio. They rush to Andy's rescue, but we see that the entire house is surrounded by fog. There's a knock at the door and Mrs. Cobrit sends Andy to his room before approaching it. <laughs> this motherfucker will not listen. No. Yeah. He's just the worst. He's hiding behind the door watching. God damn it, Andy. She shoes him away. And literally as he leaves, a figure reaches out from the fog and grabs her from behind. And like eight people descend on yeah. her with, <laughs> with their hooks. And first of all, I'm like, Carpenter hates babysitters. Yeah. But second of all, this is 100% Andy's fault. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean... Mrs. Coberts didn't have to open the door. Well, I got nothing for that. But (laughs) what I will say is that if he would have just followed the instructions, she wouldn't have been turned around shooing his ass away. Yeah, I guess. To get got. I Mm -hmm. guess. Although I do think they went a little extra ham on her (laughs) as compared to everyone else. Was was Coberts a relative of like... (laughs) Was she there? Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I remember planning it with Father Malone to kill this (laughs) pirate, but... From his room, Andy calls out to the babysitter that he just got murdered. (laughs) (laughs) There's a pounding at the door, and then a hook begins tearing the wood away. I laughed out loud because the hook busts through the door, and he goes, Mrs. (laughs) (laughs) Colbert. Really, kid? Everyone knows Mrs. Colbert has a hook for a hand. (laughs) (laughs) No, be quiet and hide. None of that. (laughs) Why are you not hiding? She's like, if that's you... Announce yourself. Are you mad at me? Yeah. I should have listened. But a hand reaches for the knob, and before the kid can get murked, Nick smashes through the window and scoops Andy up, racing back to the truck and Elizabeth. I did like this scene as far as suspense is concerned, Mm -hmm. outside of him calling out to Mrs. (laughs) Coberts. The whole sequence, I think Carpenter just builds suspense so well. He really does. It's the knocking on the door. Mm. Mm-hmm. I I love it. But an- another time to mention that with these ghouls, we really haven't seen them. No. It's really just been silhouettes in the They're fog. They're just shrouded, yeah. And it's very successful. Mm-hmm. But Elizabeth tries to make a getaway, but the tires are stuck in the mud. Through the window, we get a great shot of a silhouette in the fog, as I said, which inspires Elizabeth to try to gun it even more. As more specters approach, reaching out with their hooks and seaweed-covered hands, Elizabeth is finally able to get all three of them out of there, driving away as fast as she can. She's lucky they move slow as fuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they were like, <laughs> they oh, were, we're almost... Yeah. <laughs> for like 20 minutes. It's like, if you're there for five more minutes, we'll get yeah. you. <laughs> but back at the celebration, Sims says that after listening to Stevie's latest seemingly avant-garde broadcast, <laughs> it might be best to call it a night. Kathy insists that everyone gets to see the statue and says it'll take like five minutes and the sheriff just backs off. This woman's priorities. That statue's not going anywhere. And she wasn't even that impressed by it. No, <laughs> she wasn't. 
After a slight protest, the mayor and Sandy do convince Kathy that she should probably just go home, and Sandy offers to drive her. At the station, Stevie apologizes to Andy for not being there, and through tears, she explains that she has to stay at the station, I guess, to kind of guide everything. Right. And hey, she's doing a bang-up job because she just got him rescued. Yeah. She is. So, kid better appreciate that. (laughs) Say I love you too, you little piece of shit. But... She then tells the townsfolk that the fog is moving inland away from the beach and towards Antonio Bay proper. On the road, Sandy turns on the radio where Stevie's giving precise directions of where the fog is headed. I laughed because Kathy was like, what's this? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the jazz? As if this isn't the only station in town. (laughs) But Nick, Elizabeth, and Andy are then intercepted by the fog in town and flip a bitch to get the hell out of there. As Stevie tells all the residents to close their windows and lock their doors, Sandy and Kathy almost drive straight into the fog. Stevie warns, there's something in the fog, and so Sandy gets them out of there. Stevie tells everyone that if they can get out of town to head to the old church, which is exactly what Elizabeth and Sandy do. Mm -hmm. The two groups meet up and head inside with the fog right on their tail. This is what I meant earlier when I said I like how how everything's coming together. (laughs) (laughs) You mean like disparate parts yes. connecting? You didn't mean like I a was film. Not, yeah. I wasn't very eloquent. You just made me laugh. You're like, I like how we're seeing things on screen. It's my Honestly, it's been my favorite part. <laughs> but they bump into Father Malone, who is watching from a window, bottle in hand, clearly buzzed. <laughs> they notice figures in the fog and head to the study to hide. Before they can leave to the study, though, Nick smashes Malone's bottle. Rude. B- yeah. <laughs> it was rude. But, like, all he had to... <laughs> it was just so unnecessary to me that I laughed when the bottle, like, breaks and they're like... Ooh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you see, the, you see the journal, the journal right? Yeah. Right. You're like, we need to know the journals on that yeah. pew. And we do. We see Father Malone's grandfather's journal on the pew thanks to that bottle smash. <laughs> <laughs> so is this church supposed to be safe? for them or they just a meet up on point the outskirts so it's safe yeah. yeah i know it's fucking kind fog of, yeah. I, you know? I think that's what's so scary is that the fog already proved it's gonna move against the wind yeah <laughs> it's like i will do whatever <laughs> i want i'm not obeying the laws of physics or logic right. i can fuck with your electricity oh yeah <laughs> i'm yeah. not worried about the wind i took down the power grid <laughs> yeah. the fog is greg abbott now <laughs> <laughs> But tense music follows the group into the study as the fog fills the cemetery and surrounds the church. As Stevie stays giving updates to the town, she notices the fog is sweeping towards the lighthouse. We get kind of an oh shit moment from her as she realizes she's all alone out there. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, I'm in the lighthouse. Oh shit. (laughs) She's like, I need to alert the... Oh wait, that's me. Yeah. (laughs) Father Malone tries to explain to the group that Blake has come for them, but Nick has literally no idea what any of that means. Yeah. Unfortunately, as we said, the journal's in the other room, so he can't give him the story verbatim like he did for Sandy and Kathy. Oddly, he could have summarized yeah. it. Yeah, plot points, synopsis, grandfather journal. <laughs> yeah, fog. We're all dead. Like, I I need to read it <laughs> to know that it's real. I don't. I, you're drunk. You are drunk. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Nick decides that he's just gonna make a run for the journal. Stevie at the station hears banging outside of the lighthouse as fog begins to seep under the door. She heads downstairs to get closer to it. For sure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that but, makes sense. Yeah. 
Back at the church, Nick has retrieved the journal, and they try to figure out who will make up the six deaths that Blake promised. There's Al, Tommy, Dick, Dan, and Mrs. Kobritz. Kathy's like, one of us makes six. And I'm like, slow down, Con Jr. <laughs> like, why does it have to be one of you? But There's a whole fucking town yeah. of people. <laughs> you were just at the centennial celebration. It's full of people. Yeah. But Malone says Blake has come back to seek revenge on the six original conspirators. And if they can't get them, six lives have to take their place. Malone says he's who they want. And Nick is like, Why? But I'm like, obviously, he's a direct descendant. Can you listen, yeah. Why did you get the journal if you weren't going to read it? He's like, I like that it's leather bound. I just wanted yeah. to hold it <laughs> before I died. But Malone tries to explain. It makes me laugh so hard because he's like, oh, it's me. I'm, I'm. And then Kathy just interrupts him. It's like, <laughs> let, let him. He knows more than anyone. Yeah. She's like, I listened to this motherfucker ramble for two yeah. hours. <laughs> I'll give you the spark notes. Let me cut to the point. And she does. And she starts to read from the journal. In the journal, Patrick wrote that if it were possible to raise the dead, he'd return Blake's fortune to him. Patrick then says that the conspirators believed that the fortune had been stolen from them, but the truth is, Patrick is the thief, and God's temple is the tomb of gold. As Malone tries to figure it out, a ghostly hand smashes through the window, and Nick, Elizabeth, and Sandy rush to block it, but Malone's just like, oh, what's... Like, he doesn't... (laughs) (laughs) He didn't care. Also, I mean, if you ever read a journal that I've ever written, I'd be like, I put that motherfucker in the church. Like, why are you speaking in riddles in your own journal? It's for you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it, but... At the lighthouse, Stevie is going through some similar shit as a hand tries to break through the door and she rushes to block it. When she can't keep them from getting in, she just rushes back up the spiral staircase. Back at the church, Malone and Kathy break through the bricks where Malone found the journal as the rest of the gang tries to keep the ghouls at bay. In the wall, they find a large, solid gold crucifix wrapped in a green velvet cloth. A ghoul then snags Sandy through the window, and the group rushes to save her while Father Malone sneaks out of the room with the crucifix. Thank you, Father. (laughs) (laughs) I laugh so hard because the ghoul who is like getting pushed off of Sandy, before his arm gets shoved out the window, he just knocks a crucifix off the wall. (laughs) Like, one last fuck you. And he's like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. (laughs) But Stevie sneaks out on the ledge of the lighthouse as the ghouls have just overtaken the station. She sneaks around the side as tense music plays, and she watches them creeping around inside. Back inside the church, we get this amazing shot of Blake and his ghastly comrades standing between the pews as fog fills the air. Mm -hmm. Malone tells Blake that he has his gold, and Blake slowly approaches him. Fun fact, Blake is played by Rob Bottin, who would go on to do all the amazing special effects work on the creatures in Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. Hey, I thought cool. that was so cool. That's yeah. awesome. But back at the lighthouse, Stevie climbs up to the top, nearly falling off. She watches the ladder, afraid to see hands climbing up to join her, obviously. But she's making all the noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back at the church, Malone explains to Blake that his grandfather stole the gold. Blake's eyes glow red as his men stand behind him in a straight line. Again, amazing visual. It looks really mm-hmm. cool. Malone says that he's the man who must answer for it as Blake takes out his cutlass. Malone says he's the sixth conspirator and urges Blake to take him. 
I'm like, no, you're not. What yeah. is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, what you're doing is very noble, but yeah. that was your grandfather, dude. <laughs> back at the lighthouse. There's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> back at the lighthouse, Stevie's fears are confirmed as a ghoul does reach up the ladder and it crashes into the roof with his hook. A larger hook than we've seen so far. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I guess he's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But Stevie stands up at the pinnacle of the lighthouse with nowhere to go. She is fucking braver than me. Yeah. I'll say that. No yeah. shit. You got me fucked up. I guess I'm going with these ghouls. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys want? <laughs> Out of nowhere, another ghoul pops up behind her and sinks his hook into her shoulder. She sinks down, sliding towards the ladder where ghoul number one was waiting. She then pulls the hook from her shoulder and sinks it into the ghoul's head. In the light we see his green skin covered in worms. It's the only, like, outside yeah. of Blake, it's the only ghoul we see. Yeah. Oh, it's bad. But I was like, yes, bitch, because I thought she was dead <laughs> for a minute. No, Stevie doesn't go out like that. Yeah, <laughs> no, obviously. Mm-mm. But even with a hook in the head, that ghoul is unharmed, and all of the ghouls descend on Stevie. So maybe now she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> At the church, Andy pops out and calls out to Father Malone as if he isn't busy. Right. I'm like, maybe don't let a child bear witness yeah. to this. No, I mean, I understand you're busy at the window, but come on, man. Yeah. Someone, nobody's keeping track of this kid. <laughs> He's like, what's going on on this side? <laughs> Blake reaches out and he grabs the crucifix, which begins to glow with a blinding white light. Fog emits from it, the power of which causes Father Malone to convulse. Nick is able to pull Malone away from the crucifix, and in the blinding light, we see Blake and his men disappear with an explosive sound, leaving only the living inside the church and Stevie at the lighthouse. Stevie just watches in disbelief as the fog begins to dissipate. Interestingly, this scene with Adrian Barbeau was shot backwards and then reversed. They they were like, oh, because you can't pull fog exactly. Yeah. Like once we <laughs> fog it up, the place is fogged. So <laughs> that makes sense. But Carpenter made her act backwards. Oh wow! Yeah. So that very talented, right? But back at the church, the group heads outside together and watches the same thing happen there. Interestingly, which I saw in an interview that Jamie Lee Curtis appreciated, there's very little interaction between her and her mother. Yeah. yeah. On screen. Yeah. She said that she thanked Carpenter for that because it could have been very gimmicky. It could have. Right. But when you think about it, there's no need for Elizabeth and Kathy to speak. Yeah, not at all. They don't know each other. You're not even from here. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. I like at this point, I'm like, oh, so everything worked out. They made everything right. And then I'm like, oh, all those people are still dead. <laughs> Yeah, it's just five. <laughs> it's just five. Yeah, they could, it could have been worse. It's just five people. And one of them was unhappily married. So I mean, yeah, whatever. So, fuck you, Al. <laughs> but we get shots of the town as we see the fog receding there too. And a dog barks in the distance. Maybe Kathy's. <laughs> <laughs> Should probably take him somewhere. To get <laughs> yeah. Just nonstop. On the radio, Stevie says that she doesn't know what happened to Antonio Bay tonight, but something came out of the fog and tried to destroy them. She says that it's now vanished, but if this has been anything but a nightmare, and if they don't wake up to find themselves safe in their beds, it could come again. She calls out to the ships at sea and tells them to look across the water into the darkness and to look for the fog. Back at the church, Father Malone walks among the pews alone, wondering aloud why Blake didn't claim him as his sixth victim. We see fog spew underneath a door behind him, and when he turns around, he sees that Blake's men have returned. 
As Father Malone turns back around, we see Blake's glowing eyes through the fog as he readies his cutlass and slashes Malone, completing his revenge. We cut to black, and the credits roll. So, what did you guys think of The Fog? A couple things about the ending very quickly. Okay. Um, Father Malone needs to learn not to look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> Just be grateful. Um, and I liked that Blake left and then was like you know what no 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 fuck that <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coming for that ass <laughs> yeah he did that for nothing yes. <laughs> part of me took it as and like I'm taking the gold yeah. he's like i can't do that in front of all these people yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's a child right yeah. there i said six uh, <laughs> i uh i like this movie <laughs> we had way more fun with it than i was <laughs> expecting us to but mm-hmm. It's good. There are just a few things for me that don't make a whole lot of sense. Like mm-hmm. the one zombie <laughs> dead person and the rest, I guess, didn't make the cut. Or maybe they're shrouded in the darkness. But again, oh, yeah. it's not it's not made clear. Um, I also think that it would have made a little more sense. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it's just because <laughs> I like House on Anadale. But I feel like it would have made more <laughs> sense <laughs> the people that were killed were descendants of these people yeah instead no. of just because father malone's like they want me it's like nah son they're yeah. not discriminating they just <laughs> want taking six everyone people. yeah I, I just feel like that would have made more sense and have our core cast be those descendants or whatever or elizabeth is like oh my mom was from here it's so funny that i ended up you know yeah maybe she's from here and now that she's back they're like oh yeah, yeah. like <laughs> To me, that would have just made it a little more compelling and it would have made a little more sense. Instead of Dan the Weatherman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With his Chris Evans sweater. He didn't deserve all that. No. Um, But I do like this movie and I'm sure I'll watch it again. Like I said at the beginning, it's not the thing. It's not Mm -hmm. Halloween. It's not. Because to me, the thing is a perfect horror film. Yeah. This isn't a perfect horror film, but I think it's fun. Definitely fun. Yeah. Yeah. We had fun anyway. No, yeah. yeah. I like I said it's it's not it's not a bad movie. It's fine. I just there uh, like the things we've been saying. There's a <laughs> lot of like what the fuck and And you didn't appreciate them making it a love story, I'm guessing. No. Yeah. <laughs> they but, ended up together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see they what did. the fuck? Um yeah, it was fine. I mean, I I had a a ton of fun us discussing it. <laughs> Um, so I'll give it some extra love for that, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it, there, it, there was a lot for me of like, what the hell? You know what I mean? <laughs> I was just kind of confused most of the time, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's not bad. And yeah, I, I would watch it again. That's fair. I mean, I figured I might be the only one coming to the table that loves this movie. <laughs> I, I know that there are a lot of issues and that was one of my biggest gripes is that, make it more compelling by making the victims direct descendants. Right. Yeah. Then maybe lend some credence to why Father Malone shit in his pants the yes, whole movie. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's like, I'm next, you know? No, you're not. <laughs> no, it could be anyone. <laughs> it's just whoever they get yeah. to. Yeah. But I mean, I like seeing that this film has gotten a cult following. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it doesn't get the respect it deserves because it's sandwiched between two greats. Yeah. For me, I kind of look at it at what it is. This is a atmospheric throwback to a great era of horror yeah it's not halloween it's not the thing but it's a ton of fun it is it's its own thing yeah and it's very short yeah yeah it is yeah it is so i will definitely be watching this again Mm -hmm. maybe uh on your birthday yeah (laughs) maybe i've 
Watch it on April 21st. Yeah. I, why, I should make that a tradition. There you go. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Anything you say on the podcast, you have to do. <laughs> but I guess that brings us to ratings. I think, honestly, this film demonstrates Carpenter's skill at trying something new and, to me, excelling at it. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of great visuals and cinematography. The tone is just eerie as shit. Right. It is. And it's yeah. throughout. Oh, it's no, yeah. A dark movie with a slow burn. Yeah. <laughs> um, odd coupling. <laughs> yes. But uh, I respect a good love story. Now, no. <laughs> in all seriousness, I love revenge stories so much. Yeah. Right. And I'm honestly fine with Blake getting his revenge at the end with number six. Yeah. Because you can't reason with the ghoul. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, no. I mean, you saw the plank. Six must die. Yeah. So he lived up to it. If Again, if you promise your audience something, you got to deliver. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it was a nice punch at the end of the film, too. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a simple ghost story, and I think it's told well. Mm-hmm. And I love movies with a built-in legend. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about that before. Yeah, that's just oh, a yeah. ton of fun. But out of 10 leaking wooden planks <laughs> i am going to give the fog 8.5 leaking wooden planks out of 10 i love this movie <laughs> unapologetically but i will now open the floor to you it's not a bad movie it just didn't really grab me mm-hmm. but i mean it it i i would watch it again and i did have more fun talking about it than <laughs> watching it but like I said, I, I had never seen it. I'd heard of it. I'd mm-hmm. always get it confused with the mist, <laughs> but now I won't. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's it's not bad. It's just a, like I, it, there's a lot, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, of just kind of head scratchers going on, and <laughs> then it's like, all right, well, you know, <laughs> this is happening. Uh, and then the pirates, but they're nice pirates because <laughs> they were knocking before they would break they the door down. Or see, they have etiquette. They would yeah. say, "I love you too." Yeah, <laughs> Andy, goddammit. it. Yeah, um, he should have been number six. <laughs> right, you little fucker. <laughs> so, on a scale of one to ten, leaking wooden planks. For me, uh, the fog. I'm gonna give it seven. Leaking wooden <laughs> planks. I like how we were all waiting for the yeah. <laughs> seven. What? Uh, um, we have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I think already said all my thoughts on it, but I did. I think it's a fun movie to watch. And clearly for me, it's even more fun to talk about because <laughs> I really had a lot of fun today. Um, but yeah, those little tweaks to like we had already talked about, about kind of making the story come a little more full circle and just make a little more sense and mm-hmm. maybe a little more character development because the only one I really, really care about is Stevie. Yeah, and um, she's just the best. She is. And even her, we don't know all that well. <laughs> no. So, but again, with the 90-minute runtime, I, yeah. you know. We couldn't see her in Chicago. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a really beautiful movie. It's a very simple story, like you said, told very well. And the cast... Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I think my only amendments to the cast, I would love to see Kurt this. Kurt Russell. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see this movie with Mr. Macon at the beginning as Donald Pleasance. Oh, wow. And yeah. then, of course, Nick Castle played by Kurt Russell. Right. 
Make that movie somehow. I don't know how you do that, but please. <laughs> do it now, but in 1980. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so on a scale from one to 10, leaking wooden planks, I'm going to give The Fog 7.5. Hmm. Leaking wooden planks. I can respect that. All right. <laughs> I, I do like it. It's just, it's not... It didn't blow me away. Right. But the st- I really respect taking a simple ghost story and really doing it up in a, in a way that really only John Carpenter could. So, yeah, I like it. Maybe if they weren't <laughs> pirates. <laughs> if they were just like ghouls that lived in the fog. You didn't like their bandanas? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the best part. Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate the fog and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, while you may feel you're not responsible for the sins of the Father, others might see things a little differently. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned until after the music. We want to give a very special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yes. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very precise. To the point. Yes. <laughs> special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Houston, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent and Allison Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers, ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Jacob Tyler, Carissa, TJ Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, and Spooky Mom. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You You guys are fogging awesome. (laughs) (laughs) We very much are honored that you've allowed us to be your nightlight. Like she says on the radio. Yeah, I forgot to say it yeah, in the show, but she does say it. <laughs> she says it on the radio. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> until next time.